Listeners, glad to meet with you again. We will now begin Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries Unity in Christ program. For first-time listeners, my name is Christine Kim, and I am the host of this program. I hope this past week we were able to walk in the image of God and be holy through Him. I have a friend who used to live in San Francisco. And he told me about someone he knew while he lived there. That person's name was Frank. Frank was a very weak and skinny homeless person. He was so small and fragile, and it seemed as if he would fall over at any moment. But one day, my friend found him fighting someone who was much bigger than him. During the fight, he saw that Frank was actually able to hit and punch the other person. After the fight was broken up, Frank had a nosebleed. And while helping him, my friend asked him how he was so good at fighting and wondered if he was hurt. Frank's response was a little unexpected, but he said that it didn't hurt. In fact, he found out later that his nerves were paralyzed and he had a disease where he couldn't feel pain. That is why Frank appeared so skinny and fragile, but was able to fight back and take hits because he couldn't feel any pain. When I heard this story from my friend, I was very surprised and could hardly believe it. My friend told me Frank actually showed him how he couldn't feel anything by taking fire to his arm. At one point, my friend mentioned that he was a bit jealous that Frank could feel no pain, that sometimes he wished he was not able to feel pain either. But a few days after the fight, Frank was taken to the hospital by an ambulance because he had fainted. His health condition was not good. It was a long time ago that I heard this story about the homeless man Frank. I thought about how sad it was. Not being able to feel pain might be a good thing, but it's also very dangerous. We have to be able to feel pain in order to know what is wrong and get it treated, right? Although Frank was not able to feel anything, he was bleeding and his body had fractures, which of course is a problem. There are actually more people than we think that have the same disease Frank had. But spiritually speaking, we'll come back to share more after our first song.
In Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, in the letter written from Jesus to the Sardis church, it says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed, thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Sardis was an important ancient city in the capital of the Kingdom of Lydia, a country in Western Asia Minor. The city stood its ground in about BC 1200 and became an impregnable fortress. The term Sardis holds the meaning of people of escape or people who would void. Jesus tells his church that although it may seem to be alive, that it is dead. He tells them he knows their deeds, but has found their deeds unfinished in the sight of God. That is why he tells them they have the reputation of being alive, but are dead. Biblical scholars compare this church to the Catholics of the Middle Ages. The church dominated all systems, therefore building a great Catholic church, having all people receive infant baptism, having them naturally become a church member, and being influenced by its ways. From an external standpoint, the church may have seemed like it was growing, but there was not any confessions of faith from anyone, and because everyone naturally became a church member, there was no need in spreading the gospel, thus it was dead. Among the many people today, who is similar to those in the church of Sardis? People that may seem glamorous and wholehearted on the outside, but have faith without the guidance of the Holy Spirit, these are the type of people who I would think are spiritually dead. I had a few thoughts to myself lately that I would like to share. After Jesus ascended into heaven, God sent down the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, gathering the few disciples, creating a church in inadequate conditions, and through persecutions and sufferings, their great faith, the gospel, spread and changed the whole world. But despite the numerous churches that exist today, how much influence do we have? Despite the myriad of seminary graduates, how are we Christians changing the world? Looking from the outside, it seems like within the past 100 years, the church has grown significantly, but why does it seem like the world has only grown to become more corrupt within those 100 years? Maybe it is because it seems to be alive from the outside, but actually it is dead. What are the characteristics of death? Death cannot influence anything. I want us to examine our faith as we look at the church of Sardis. Am I attending and participating in many church events, hearing compliments from people regarding my faith, but feeling a sense of emptiness on the inside? Holding a faith without the touch of the Spirit? Are we going to early morning service every day, Wednesday night service, Friday night service, Sunday service, but do not have happiness and grace within us? I am not saying in the least bit that attending church events, volunteering and attending church services are bad. But I'm saying it is bad if we are only doing religious acts 
or stuck in a state of works without the Holy Spirit, without a relationship with God, and without a changed life. Furthermore, it is dangerous if we are living not knowing that we are spiritually dying. All these pieces broken and scattered in mercy gathered, mended and whole, empty handed but not forsaken. I've been set free, I've been set free.
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is The Cure for the Consequences of Sin, Part 2, based on 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I hope you have a blessed time as you join Pastor Mark Martin. This isn't talking about unbelievers getting saved. This is written to us who believe in the name of the Son of God. He's saying we need to confess our sins and keep on confessing our sins and receive the forgiveness of Jesus. And we need to be reminded, chapter 2, verse 12, that we have been forgiven once and forever through Jesus Christ. What is this great truth all about? Well, the Old Testament has a picture of it. It's pretty cool. In the Old Testament, the priests were set apart to serve the Lord. They would go to the altar of sacrifice. And there at the altar of sacrifice, the blood would be applied to them. Their sins would be forgiven. That's what Jesus represents, the sacrifice of God, the Lamb of God, right, that takes away the sin of the world. Then there would be, then, so they were, they were now set apart for God. They belonged to God. And that's a picture of our justification by faith. I love that term, justification, to be justified. God acquits us of all our sin. We are not guilty anymore. In fact, when you're acquitted in a court, there is no record of any wrong. There's no record of any charges. It's dropped. Charges are what, they say? Dropped. It's all gone. And so you're acquitted. When I'm justified, God looks at me just as if I'd never sinned. I'm justified, declared righteous. I'm not righteous in and of myself. But the righteousness is all in Jesus Christ and his rightness, his righteousness is credited to us. Imputed is the legal term for that. It's imputed to us, reckoned to our account, credited to our account. That's what saves us. It's Jesus' blood and righteousness. The priests were set apart to God by the blood of the sacrifice. But then as they served the Lord according to the Old Testament law, they were to move ahead, and every time they stepped into the holy place, the, the, uh, the temple where they uh, served the Lord was divided into two rooms, the most holy place, the innermost uh, room where the Ark of the Covenant was kept with the Ten Commandments in it and, and other relics from Israel's holy history to remind them of God's saving power and God's promises to them and their promise to God. And then there was a holy place, and out there there were different, uh, there was a table with bread on it, the bread of the presence of God, seven-branch candlestick out there, and so an altar of incense. And then outside, just before you go into that room, there was a great big basin that they were to wash their feet in before they stepped in. If they didn't wash their feet, they would be killed. 
Because God was teaching through the Old Testament laws, New Testament important truths. He's saying, fellowship with me is based upon keeping your walk clean. See, that's what the feet was all about. The priests were to serve the Lord barefooted. They were to serve the Lord with their feet clean so that they could feel, or bare so that they could feel any little thing. You know, I take off my shoe and now I can feel what I couldn't feel before. I couldn't feel the little crack on the step here. I couldn't feel that kind of stuff. But I can feel it when I have my shoe off. I'm more sensitive. You go walk in the gravel and just, ooh, ooh, ah, ooh, ooh. you know, you feel anything in the way, anything that needs to be moved out. And so it is in our service with the Lord. He's saying, look, I want you to be sensitive in following me. And if your feet get dirty in serving me, you don't have to go back to the altar. You don't have to get another sacrifice. You don't have to be saved all over again. You just need to get your feet washed. And then come in and fellowship and serve me. But don't even try to come in and serve me with dirty feet. I want a clean walk. That's what the Lord says. Jesus, in John chapter 13, remember, go back to John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, Jesus had gathered the disciples into the upper room and he said to them, now, I want you to let me wash your feet. And he started washing the feet, the job that one of them should have done because when Jesus set up the whole arrangement for the upper room for the Passover just before he was arrested, he purposefully omitted a servant that night to wash people's feet. That was usually a servant's job and not, you know, one of the guest's responsibilities. In the Jewish mind, the foot was the dirtiest part of the body. And Jesus was waiting for somebody. I mean, somebody should have washed their feet when they came in. I mean, it's just what happened. It was like taking someone's coat you always would wash someone's feet when they came into your house. And so Jesus, he gets down and he starts washing his disciples' feet. And by the time he got to Peter, Peter was incredulous. And Peter said, look, you are not going to wash my feet. And and you can just see him kind of pulling his feet away from the Lord. And Jesus says, Peter, if if you don't let me wash your feet, you're not going to have any part with me. And the word is meros in Greek, which means fellowship. Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, you're not going to have any fellowship with me. He had already said in John 15, you are already clean through the word which I have spoken to you. And he says here in John 13, verse 10, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet and is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Speaking of Judas, for he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. Jesus says, all I need to do is wash your feet and you're going to be clean, perfectly clean. Now, he's telling us the truth of John chapter, 1 John chapter 1. He's saying, look, if we continue to confess our sins, then he is faithful and he is righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is not the cleansing of salvation, of justification. This is the cleansing of fellowship. This is our daily walk with Jesus. And the Lord's saying, hey, if you flub up, then immediately come to me and let me clean your walk. See, I'm promising you, gang, serving Jesus, you are going to get your feet dirty. 
You can determine, I'm not going to step in a puddle. I'm not going to step in a cow pie. I'm not going to, you know, whatever it might be. (laughs) But you are going to get your feet dirty. Take off the shoes because you're not bringing that in my house. Is it because the Lord doesn't love us? No. Is it because the Lord, we have to go get resaved? No. God's saying, let me wash your feet. Let's get this off of here so that we can go on with more important things. There's no sin that the Lord will not forgive. There's no sin that we can't come to Jesus with and say, Lord, I messed up. Lord, I stepped in this mud and and it is, anybody ever go to Kauai? Anybody go to Kauai? Okay, you know the dirt there? They say, look, wear your old tennis shoes because if you bring your new tourist pair there, they're ruined. You'll never get that red mud color out of your shoes or your clothes. In fact, they even dye shirts, t-shirts in the mud, in the dirt, in the sand because it's, it's red and it dyes things. Come to Jesus with the worst of stains and he can cleanse those stains. The cleansing of justification. I'm writing to you, your sins have been forever permanently forgiven for Jesus' name's sake and by his blood. If we confess our sins, if we continue to confess our sins, then he is faithful and righteous to cleanse us from all our sins. He's going to wash our feet. That's what it's talking about there in 1 John 1, 8 and 9. It's not talking about how to get saved. It's talking about how to experience fellowship with God. You understand? It's the fellowship of salvation. It's Jesus doing the John 13, washing my feet, and I need it every day, many times a day. Lord, that thought, oh, I'm sorry. Lord, that attitude, wash my feet. Lord, oh. Lord, remembering that, oh, I'm sorry. Lord, I want to do more. Whatever it might be, just wash my feet. And it's not this big, oh, you know, I got to go running away from the Lord. It's not I have to be resaved. I just come to the Lord. And he gently, carefully, it was careful. It was gentle. And that's the way the Lord is with you. He doesn't want to take your heart and hurt it. But he does want to wash it. Now what happens if we don't let the Lord cleanse our hearts? If we don't let him clean our hearts, what's going to happen? Well, we're going to lose our joy One of the biggest joy busters is when is unconfessed sin. It'll rob your joy. Unconfessed sin will hurt your health, the Bible says. David talks about how he was actually in pain and agony in his body because of unconfessed sin. It can tarnish our testimony and our families and those among us. You know, one of the things that brings God no glory is when his people can't say, I'm sorry. God, you're right. God, I was wrong. You know, you don't have to think, well, if I say I'm wrong, that's going to admit what? That you're a human sinner? The Bible says if you say without sin, you're a liar, making, there's no truth in you, you don't have the word of God in you, you're making God a liar. So can you say I was wrong? Then maybe we need a practice session on this. Let's just say it together. I was wrong. And now let's say in the present tense, I am wrong. Ah, well, that's our first step towards confession. Look at Psalm 51. I just want to show you a beautiful psalm 
that is a great example of confession. David had sinned big time. You know the story. We don't have to go into the sordid details of David and Bathsheba. And Nathan the prophet came and he pointed out the sin through the use of a little conviction, you know, with the parable that he said. And, and David was convicted to his heart and he acknowledged his sin. He confessed his sin before God. And this is actually the record of his sin, of his confession of sin in verse 1. Psalm 51, 1. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. I'm going to take the these and thous out and just going to use normal language. I want you to notice this psalm is an example of true repentance. Real confession and true repentance, too. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. The word transgression speaks of rebellious sins, sins where God has said, look, this is the line, don't cross over it, and you do it anyway, and you know what you're doing is wrong. God says, I'll forgive that, but you've got to come to me, and you've got to ask me for forgiveness. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Look, all kinds of sins are spoken of here, transgressions, iniquity, and sin. And cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. See, he calls it for what it is. He says, this, this thing I did at this point, Lord, was not just a slip up. This was not just a, a mistake. This was not just a, a mere misjudgment. This was, I crossed a known line. When I committed this sin, I knew what I was doing was wrong. Now, God wants to hear that from us when that is the case. He doesn't want us to say, well, you know, Lord, please blot out my little mistake. It's not a mistake. I mean, some are, you know, oh, Lord, I flew off the handle. Lord, I lost it. We're not always admitting, are we? And not just saying, Lord, I take, and David is taking ownership and responsibility, and he's not blaming Bathsheba. Well, you know, if she wasn't so beautiful, if she wasn't, you know, taking a bath or whatever, he is willing to take the responsibility and say, oh, Lord, it is me, my problem, I am the reason I take full responsibility. I am green, Lord, I'm calling it what it is. It's a transgression. It's a crossing a known line. I knew it was wrong and I did it. And God, I've been paying for it ever since. I expect there's gonna be big consequences and I'll even accept those. I'm not gonna say now God is so bad to me that this thing's happened to me and I'm gonna have these consequences the rest of my life. He's saying, you know what? I deserve it all. That's true repentance. You're not arguing with God. You're not blaming God or anybody else. Against you, verse four, you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth where? In the innermost being. The word truth means stability. Lord, you want me to stay true and not wavering and shaking. And in the hidden part, you will make known wisdom. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. 
This is a perfect prayer of repentance. It's an inspired prayer. You know, sometimes we, we hang, guilt is hanging on us. How do I get rid of it? Confess to the Lord. Say, Lord, wash my feet. Use this prayer. And it doesn't have to be, this is not just the prayer of contrition because of adultery. This is a perfect prayer of contrition for just about any sin that the Spirit's convicting us. And we say, Lord, I'm just really sorry. And you also have to know, you don't always have to pray a prayer this long. Sometimes, you know, David's problem was he let his sin dry and harden and cake and and now it took extreme measures to break through all this stuff and to cleanse him, right? Why not come to the Lord immediately? Let the Lord cleanse you right now. And the more, think about boots in the mud. Could you? Can you think mud? Yeah. What happens with shoes that you don't clean? They get muddy the first time. You go back out into the muddy yard or muddy desert. You come back in, it just gets thicker and thicker and thicker, and you lose more and more and more sensation. You know, that's kind of the way sin works, too. If we don't let the Lord cleanse us immediately, then it's just going to get harder and harder and harder, and we're going to end up doing, stepping on things, going places that maybe we wouldn't have gone had we stayed clean with the Lord. Well, I'll let you... finish reading Psalm 51 on your own. That'll be our homework. And we can look at how the Lord in his great grace restored to David the joy of his salvation. David says, don't take your spirit from me. The Holy Spirit never leaves us. You have to understand David is writing under the old covenant where not everybody was infilled with the Holy Spirit like we are in the new covenant. But uh, he missed the fellowship with God that he had. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the work of your spirit in our lives. And we want to thank you for something that sometimes we don't, and that is for his conviction. That, Lord, there are those moments throughout the day, through our busy weeks, that your spirit taps us on the shoulder and he simply says, hey, stop this. Turn from that. And Lord, we want to give heed to his voice. And tonight, we thank you, Lord, for the the fact that our sins have been forgiven. We're not trying to get forgiveness. But within that happy state of being justified and saved, we want to live in very close fellowship and enjoyment of life with you. Thank you for your blood, Jesus, that cleanses us from all sin, that there is no sin that anyone here has committed. There's no sin that we could ever do that you haven't paid for. Lord, there is cleansing and forgiveness. Lord, we pray that you will wash our feet tonight. Cleanse us in Jesus' name.
Listening to Unity in Christ, the English Hour in our broadcast program. Here at Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries, we strive to connect our listeners to engage with a community of believers as one body under Christ. Since 2000, we have dedicated our lives to make disciples of all nations through radio broadcasting. We are always encouraged to hear from you. So, if you have any comments or testimonies that you would like to share, Please feel free to email us at askhsgm@gmail.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Heart and Soul podcasts on iTunes for weekly sermons. To learn more, visit heartandsoul.org. Please. 
Please stay tuned as we are following a program that guides us to know what ethics Christians should hold, titled Christian Ethics. Hello listeners, this is Brian Winston with Christian Ethics. Last week we learned how Jesus Christ fulfilled and abolished the Old Testament laws through His life, death, and resurrection. However, the structure of this law is based on God's moral nature, and so the spirit of His law is still alive. We also shared how the Bible tells us that God's basic morals reflect the unchangeable nature of God, and they are engraved in everyone's minds. Today I will share the spirit of the laws. In Matthew 22:35, an expert in religious law comes to test Jesus. He asks Jesus in verse 36, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus answers his question in verses 37 to 40. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now the Pharisees have diligently kept the laws externally. They tried their best to do so. They even created smaller laws that God did not require us to follow. But they missed the main point. They were fed with their own righteousness. And Jesus had tried hard to teach them the central point of the law, in other words, the spirit of the law. The Pharisees' standards of holiness were not the same as the standards of holiness that the Bible teaches us. Their standards could not attain the holiness that Jesus taught. Even though the Pharisees have tried so hard to keep all of the strict laws, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-5 through 5, teaches us that they have only created experts in the laws and hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Those people only focused on keeping the law externally, while Jesus emphasizes the internal motivation in keeping the law. Many people believe that Jesus has abolished all the laws, but in reality, Jesus has raised the standards of the laws. According to Jesus, hatred is the same as murdering, and those who look at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Until then, people were not judged by their immoral thoughts, as long as they were not put into action. Jesus emphasizes internal motivations rather than external behaviors. So when we take a look at all the laws and the prophets that Jesus mentions in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, the core importance of the Ten Commandments that God gave the Israelites becomes clear. What would it be? It's love. The key point of the laws is love. A person who truly loves God would worship Him. He would not serve other idols or gods. He would not blasphemy or misuse the name of the Lord. He would not serve other idols in the holy sanctuary because he loves the Lord his God. A person who truly loves his neighbors would do likewise. He would not murder his neighbor. He would not steal or covet his neighbor's wife or anything that belongs to his neighbor. 
He would not give false testimony against his neighbor. And also, a person who loves his parents should honor his parents as well. It is impossible to carry out the long list of the laws without first loving God and our neighbors. And this fact leads some individuals to feel discouraged about them and decide not to follow the laws anymore. On the other hand, this fact leads some people to understand more deeply why Jesus had to take the cross. The purpose of the laws is to make us realize what sin is. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. Instead of trying to overcome our guilty feelings by carrying out more strict and more holy standards, we should acknowledge our sin in the presence of God and trust what He has done on the cross and repent wholeheartedly and try to build our love relationship with God. Holiness is not accomplished by good deeds. We cannot get closer to God by doing good deeds. But that is what the Pharisees try to do. No one can be called righteous just by carrying out the laws. Holiness is accomplished by having a relationship with God. And having a relationship with God not only makes us do good deeds, but also makes us want to do them. Love works as the proper motivation to do the right things. God and our neighbors should not be seen as a means of fulfilling our purposes. They are the purpose itself. If we became Christians in order to become rich and happy, these reasons have nothing to do with loving God. Becoming a Christian in order to avoid going to hell is also using God for our own good. Loving God means focusing on Him and knowing who He is. If we truly love Him, we would not use Him for our own good. Instead, we would sacrifice ourselves for His glory and joy. This is the nature of love. God sacrificed His one and only Son because He loved mankind, and parents as well would willingly sacrifice themselves for their children. If we say we truly love God, we should love God and our neighbors with the same passion. It is possible only if we have relationships with God. 1 John 4.19-21 tells us the following. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I hope this session has been helpful in gaining a better appreciation of the spirit of the laws. This concludes today's episode. I thank you for listening, and God bless.
face the day And in your presence All our fears are washed away Washed away Hosanna Hosanna You are the God who saves us As I shared in the beginning, Frank believed he was strong, as he could not feel the pain in his body, although his body was torn and bleeding. And eventually, he fainted and went to the hospital. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3 verse 3, Remember then, what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. We need to always examine our faith. Is my faith leading to salvation? Is my life bearing the fruit of a saved Christian? If we have the slightest doubts, let's think again on how we receive the gospel, how we have heard and kept it and repent. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test, this is from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Although the Sardis church was an impregnable fortress for a long time, now they say that the name is a Philadelphia railroad station at the ruins of a small neighborhood. The name which had the meaning of a people of escape now has a colorless meaning. If we look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 4, Jesus calls the name of Sardis and says this, Yet you have a few people in Sardis, who have not soiled their clothes, they will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. Sardis, people of escape. What are they escaping from? Perhaps it means they are escaping from judgment and the power of death. What does it say about these people? Jesus says these people who have not soiled their clothes will walk with him dressed in white, because it says they are worthy. I hope to believe that we may all hold faith that is not just for show on the outside, but are alive on the inside, keeping our faith and spirits alive in the world and keeping our clothes clean. It has been promised to us if we do not live compromised by this world, we will be dressed in white, never blotting our names out of the book of life, and will acknowledge our name before our Father and His angels. I hope that we may all stand happily before our Heavenly Father on that day. I truly hope we may live this next week giving God our all, as witnesses of Him. We will now wrap up Unity in Christ. Thank you for listening, as it has been my pleasure. I hope to see you this time next week, and God bless.
has seen, no ear has heard, no heart can fully know. How glorious, how beautiful you are. Beautiful world night, love you, beautiful world night. Beautiful world night, so Nothing on earth 